Hello, and welcome to the Equity Foundation podcast. The Equity Foundation is the professional development arm of Actors' Equity. Our mission is to assist, educate, and inspire performers. To find out more, visit www.equityfoundation.org.au. Um, very excited to be moderating this panel. Today we um, are talking about how more and more performers are stepping into production roles, uh, such as writing, producing and directing. And I've got four slashies here today, some fantastic slashies, uh, to discuss the challenges and the rewards of taking on different creative roles, what led them here and, uh, and what they learned along, along the way. So let me start with Robin Butler there. Um, Robin Butler is an actor, writer, director and producer, slash, 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 who runs the highly successful Australian production company Gristmill with her husband Wayne Hope. Um, they are prolific content creators. They've um, co-created, produced and starred in three seasons of The Lib uh, Librarians, Robin has, and co-wrote and produced Very Small Business. Co-created, wrote, wrote, wrote and produced the award-winning and hit comedy Upper Middle Bogan. I love. Um, wrote, produced and starred in the feature film Now at Honey. Co-created, wrote and produced Little Lunch and just completed her directing de debut because she's not busy enough on The Nightmare Before Graduation. Robin Butler. <laughs> Next to me I have Sean McAuliffe. Um, and Sean's been a fixture in our television screens for the last 25 years from Full Frontal to the McAuliffe program and his current show on the ABC Mad as Hell. Um, he's done it all. He's done chat shows, sitcoms, improv drama, slash feature films, slash radio, slash books, slash new newspaper columns, slash theatre. I mean, there's so many slashes there. Currently star starring in The Odd Couple at the MTC, which um, I actually heard on opening night that he actually suggested to them. You took the play to the MTC. Um, and so he, he's always also programming at the MPC, MTC. <laughs> Another slashy. So uh, uh, he didn't just sit around and hope to be cast in a play. He got in there. So Sean McAuliffe. On the end there we have Damon Gamu. Damon is an award-winning actor who has appeared in a range of productions. As a director, he was the winner of Tropfest in 2011 and has made that fantastic documentary, That Sugar Film, which marked his first feature-length film. The film is now the highest-grossing Australian documentary of all time. Woo! Yes, and has had major release across New Zealand, the UK, Canada, South Africa and the United States, with releases in many more countries around Europe, Asia and Americas. And he's also, slash, a writer. Um, alongside the documentary came The Sugar Book, which is a bestseller and now available in 12 languages around the world. That's amazing. Damon Gamu. <coughs> and finally, our lovely Candy Bowers in the centre here. Candy is a multidisciplinarian artist, writer, actor, comedian, producer and social activist. Most recently seen in Lilith, The Jungle Girl by the Sisters Grimm at the Melbourne Theatre Company. She's also the co-artistic director of Black Honey Company and Candy's best known for her genre-defying hip-hop theatre work, including the hit comedy duo Sister She and Hot Brown Honey, which opens tomorrow night at the Arts Centre and running there. Um, and Candy's currently under commission for a new hip-hop uh, hip theatre work for young people entitled One the Bear for Cameltown Arts Centre and Le Boite Theatre Company. Candy Bowers! <laughs> so, firstly, let's be really clear. The slashy uh, should not be confused with the slasher genre, right? Um, so, slashy is, refers to working in many different capacities, as this incredible panel do. Um, a slashy career is actually also called, I found in my research for this 
a portfolio career, which sounds so much more classy, doesn't it? So I'm going to refer to it from here on in as a portfolio career. Um, far classier. So um, now according to a recent report from the Australian Bureau of Statistics entitled People with More Than One Job, great title, it says what it is, um, <laughs> there are more than half a million people juggling pr multiple professional roles in Australia and of those multiple jobs some 54% are women, which I found very interesting. And a large number of these people are business owners and individuals who work in the arts. So, my first question to all of you is why is that? Why, what led each of you to become a portfolio career person in the first place? <laughs> uh, I'll start. I, um, I had uh, done acting. I went to drama school at NIDA and finished in 1999. And kind of did a few things over that 10-year period and had, I think, a couple of jobs that I really thought, gee, I could do this for the rest of my life, but felt that probably 90% of them were things I didn't really resonate with. And so I kind of had this frustration that was developing and I kind of noticed myself getting a bit bitter with the industry and being a bit resentful of things and kind of had a bit of a cold, hard look at myself and said, well, what are you going to do about it? I mean, you're going to keep whinging about it or you're actually going to start making things that you're passionate about. And... Uh, I was actually in a hospital, I had a week in hospital and I was with um, these three octogenarians and it was like a sitcom, like, like just the conversations we were having. One of the gentlemen was really suffering badly from dementia and we'd get up in the middle of the night and chat and calm him down from his dreams and stuff. And I actually sat up one night and wrote a letter to myself as though I was 85 in that, in that uh, hospital room and I thought, have you done the things that you really want to do in the world? Are you proud of the things that you know, you've put out there? Um, I had all these, you know, passions and interests, but I had never acted on them. And that, for me, was the catalyst of sort of going, you know, don't get to 85 and go, I didn't do it, you know. Um, and so that became a big driver for me. It was like, right, I've got to just find a way to make this happen and learn things and read things and actually have the courage to put myself out there because I think that's what holds a lot of people back and held me back, this kind of fear of judgment, which people are so quick to jump on your back these days and they can get at you through so many devices now that it can be intimidating. <laughs> Um, but it's probably the best thing that ever happened to me is a, a one-trop fest and I really didn't want to even enter it, but my wife pushed me to enter this film in and, you know, my fear was that it, I'd get castigated for it, I'd get ridiculed and all those things happened, you know, and so <laughs> it was actually the best thing that could have happened because I felt that pain and went, oh, that's it? Oh, God, let's get on with things now. Like, and, you, and you need that experience, I think, to get through and, and soldier on. So... Um, that happened to me at 37, you know, so I, I you know, I feel like, gee whiz, I, I spent a lot of time wasting time that I could have really put myself out there. So if anyone is out there and young, just get on with it because actually the world needs your voice right now. I think we need a diverse range of opinions and voices more than ever and there are the mediums and outlets to do it now to get out there and to get heard. So um, have the conviction and do it. Robin. Uh, well, I think... Uh, I always wrote and performed and, you know, that was my kind of uh, skill set. And But my, my, I think a similar thing, failure is always a great kickstarter and my dream was to go to NIDA at school and be an actor and I didn't get in and I just couldn't believe that I didn't get in and I, I really kind of said to them, I don't think you saw that this was my dream so we should really go through this again but they were quite keen for me to leave so <laughs> I did. Um, but uh, I, I thought, I, I, I can't bear that and also I'll, I'll show you that I can actually do this. And so I just, 
it was, I just kind of took my skill set and I wrote and, you know, there was, this was in a, in a time before the internet. And uh, so, you know, we just made shows all the time and I'd get all my girlfriends and I'd write and I'd make shows and I did a lot of improv and eventually that just translated to television. So I always brought that skill set to, to television. But I think also the big leap forward, having sort of wrote and performed sketch comedy and, and those sorts of things, I always just gave everything a go and, you know, suffered the, the awful failures when they happened. But I moved from Sydney to Melbourne and felt like I'd, you know, uh, found my tribe with a lot of, you know, the people that Sean and I've worked with for, forevermore since sort of the late 90s. And um, I worked on Eric Banner's sketch show and had this great time meeting all these different people. And after that, the cable television was just starting up and the Comedy Channel had just started. And they, um, we did a show called Small Tales and True, which we wrote and performed and produced and everything. And, and it was extraordinary. I thought, that's what I want to do from now on. And after that, uh, Artist Services, the company who made that, offered me a, a development deal for a year. And I think they paid me $15,000 for the year, which I thought was like, oh my God, can you believe it? <laughs> so they, they got me to develop a feature film, a free-to-air television show and a cable television show. I know, for $15,000. $15,000. Wow. Um, and I spent a year doing it. I wrote a film about a netball team. I wrote uh, a film about a female private detective, a, a, a television show about a female private detective. And I wrote uh, some cable television thing. Anyway, it was female skewed again. I guess you're getting the gist of this. And at the end of the year, a couple of uh, male producers uh, took my work and kind of went, yeah, I can't sort of see this anyway. Yeah, yeah, we spoke to a couple of people. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. And I sat on the kitchen floor and cried for about an hour and then I went, okay, that's it. I'm never letting anyone else speak for my work again. And I can still remember the pain of that but the resolve that it brought, I think I wouldn't have found if I hadn't had that pain and I just harangued my husband to make stuff with me um, and make a production company and I just I just he'd kind of he'd married had he married me no I don't know if he married me. anyway I something came first it was the production company or the marriage I had him stuck and he did it and we're that's that's how it <laughs> happened and I find that if you do have your own voice in the room, you are much more able to harangue other people <laughs> into making your things too. So I think tenacity and determination, are, you know, similar to what Damon said, I think just get in there and keep going. Candy. Hello. Um, I will put almost everything down to Audrey Lord quotes. If you haven't heard of her before, so racist. But... Um, <laughs> Audrey Lord wrote, uh, this was a black lesbian woman writing in just after the civil rights era, things that I think are so human that um, every single person of every ethnicity, shape and size in the world can relate to, but I think people, particularly actors, can too. She said, if I didn't define myself for myself, I'd be squashed into other people's fantasies of me and eaten alive. So that's very true for me. Uh, I went to NIDA, Damon was in third year when I was in first year. Uh, often, you know, I was only 
uh, black women in my, my class and I found myself in, in these scenarios having come from Western Sydney where I grew up and thinking, you know, it's always hilarious, you know, the big black woman with the biggest hair and the biggest ass, i.e. the elephant in the room and, and the invisibility and visibility of that. So for me, it was more like I came out into an industry in 2002 that were absolutely couldn't even see me, you know. Um, in my career, what I deal with a lot is the erasure, complete erasure and symbolic annihilation of women of colour. So I guess it was more like trying to find cracks in the wall that the sun was shining out of to be able to um, achieve my artistic dreams. Um, my parents came to Australia as political refugees from apartheid South Africa, so, you know, failure on entry wasn't, wasn't an option. Um, they'd fought that hard and I was going, you know, the privilege of coming to Australia then and being like, and I want to be an actor. <laughs> my grandfather was the first coloured leader of the Trade Unionist Party in South Africa. My father fought for chalk and pencils in, um, in schools in South Africa for coloured kids. And I want to be an actor <laughs> and speak Shakespeare. And um, just like, you know, like it's just, it cracks me up because I'm such a, um, a product of the mix, the diaspora of being so Aussie that you believe everything is due to you, you know? I feel embarrassed about my 20s of just demanding so much in the comedy world and going, but I'm the best, you know? So not South African, you know? And so I, I, I'm an Australian South African and that creates, you know, a slashy in itself. Um, and I live um, in, in the other spaces, so I get to break through. I'm a unicorn, I get to achieve crazy things like, um, for 20 years of my life out of NIDA, I, I've had about 12. Um, castings or auditions and I've gotten 10 of them I've had 12 so um, for me the industry was absolutely saying no and so I was like y'all are wrong <laughs> um, how wrong they are so at the show that's on at the Art Centre next week Hot Brown Honey uh, comes out of Black Honey Company collaborating with other First Nations women from across Australia, Aboriginal women from here, Polynesian women from Tonga, Ma uh, Maori women, South African women, and we, you know, just won the Total Theatre Award for experimentation and innovation in a form, because apparently it's very innovative to have only black women on the stage. <laughs> Can somebody tell Brett Sheehy that? He was on the last panel. Um, if you want to win an award for innovation, just put us on a stage together. <laughs> it's, it's funny because it's true. So we're in a situation, I believe, in Australia because I get to see lots of young people. One of my slashes is educator uh, all across the West. And that is like the most diverse people. And of course, the population's changing. So I'm ready with a ton of product um, that's going to speak to and, and speak across to, the, to these folks. And um, so for me, of course, I'm going to have to be a slashy because I get out there and I deal with a marketing person like we just did in Edinburgh that have never marketed black work before. We luckily rode the waking the feminist wave all the way through the UK, super exciting. Um, so you pick up things, like Twitter for me is like, you know, an extra limb. What, it's do what it does for, for women of colour particular, the Black Lives Matter campaign started on it, 
is that we get to speak to people whose doors are usually shut to us, right? So we are going to be those social innovators that constantly are looking for the crack in the wall and, um, and then get to achieve things that break through in a way that those that made the problem can't solve, you know, to quote Einstein. So I think, I think for me, being a slashy was just about actually going, wow, um, but merit-wise, I mean... From, from even primary school and high school level, I was winning all the awards. I was killing it against all the boys at debating and, you know, went out and played, you know, used to um, assistant direct impro as soon as I went out into the world. Why did it stop when, the, when I got into the industry? The barriers that were up are real. They're kind of like not just made of glass. And so uh, moving in through the fringe world, um, writing my own work, all of these things had to happen. It was an imperative. It wasn't like, I didn't really like that gig, but it was like, I'm not up for the representation of women of colour currently. I'm not up for tokenism. I have to define myself for myself. Thanks, Danny. And Sean, um, and what led you to, being, uh, to, to developing a portfolio career? Um. Well, it was really a way of... Because uh, I, I entered the industry quite late. I was about 30 years old and uh, was working in uh, a television sketch, sketch comedy show as a writer and uh, had a lot of time on my hands and I, I actually found it quite helpful to sit in on the edit of the material and go to the live nights and watch the actors shoot the material. Actually, That actually helped me as a writer and I think that was true of my experience uh, working in television um, to learn because it's such a collaborative medium, to learn as much of the um, language and uh, grammar of everybody else's job, because it actually did help me as a writer. And in a way, becoming a performer, there's a lot of material that was being rejected, and I thought it was funny, and, and the suggestion was, well, why don't you do it yourself, which was a lovely suggestion. And so <laughs> I, I went off with the second unit, and I, and I, was, um, I was a performer. I'd never really intended to be a performer at, at the age of 30, but it... But it Interestingly enough, learning all these other things and being an actor and uh, of, of the material and turning up at the edit and, and maybe suggesting where cuts could be made was a way of shepherding whatever idea I had all the way through this through this very collaborative system. Um, so for me, it was never a question of doing it any other way. I mean, I'm a performer with a very limited ability, and I think as a writer, I can write around those limitations or I can <laughs> I can hide them to a certain extent. And as an editor, I can cut out the terrible bits, or the relatively terrible bits. And obviously, some terrible bits have to go on because you need to make the time up for the whole show. <laughs> um, uh, but it, it, that is it, very simply. It was. It seemed like that for me was the only way to do it. I'm not a. I'm not a businessman at all. I do tend to go to a network with an idea and say, "What do you think about this?" and have it and pitch it myself in the way that uh, Robin and Damon was suggesting. Um, that is the best way because only you really have the passion for your idea. So if you do get a chance to pitch it yourself, you're the best person to do it. Then they say, well, okay, great. Uh, now, you production company, who, who are you thinking of a production company? You say, well, who do you like working with? And they'll list about three. And if you can stand the production company that they suggested, <laughs> then that's the one I usually go with and they make the deal and get the funding and everything. And uh, as a result, I don't own any of the material that I've produced over the last 25 years. But I have done quite a bit of it. Yeah. So uh, in terms of quantity and, and having... And which suits my temperament because I like moving on f from one project to another. I really I actually don't like 
I find that, and you may have found this yourself, everybody on this panel has probably, probably found this, is that your enthusiasm for a particular idea has a limited life. And that at some point, the movie that you really wanted to make when you were 25, you no longer want to make when you're 30 or 35. It just becomes something different and it becomes a chore. And I've had so many projects, and uh, I suspect this is just the nature of the beast, you will have a lot of projects that you love and then you hate by the end of it because of the process that you've had to go through. So the quicker you can get your project <laughs> made, uh, you know, you're on, a, you're on a hiding to nothing if it goes on too long. And, and if you, and we've all had to rewrite things at the suggestions of people who, you know, we don't quite agree with the need to rewrite something sometimes, uh, but we do it because we need to get through that next gate and then there's the next gate and then at some point you've got to sit and look at it and wonder whether it's been compromised out of all existence. So uh, becoming a slashy or becoming a, you know, a multifunction person is, is probably the only way, again, get back to my original point, of shepherding your idea and protecting it as best you can all the way through to the audience. That's interesting that you just brought up the fact that, you know, because I actually always thought you produced your own work, actually. Um, well, creatively, I, yeah, I, do. I, I do, I guess, yeah. but I don't, I don't... You don't do the financing and the... the, the no, the I don't do any of that. Yeah, which is really interesting to sort of, um, just to note that, you know, I think sometimes what stops us going ahead with a project that we might think in our heads, oh, that's a great idea and I could do that, and you go, oh, but I'm no good at marketing or I'm no good at, I'm really bad at maths and I'm no good at, I couldn't do the financing thing and that stops you from actually going forward but actually one of my questions actually was um, at, uh, when I was doing research for it was that um, it, what it takes to, to be a slashy, they're saying finding a community and collaborating and I think that's a really great point of going, of actually knowing what you're not very good at, like I've really tried to be good at social media but I just actually fucking hate it, I really do, I just... <laughs> don't want to sit on Twitter and, uh, you know, and I, when you say, oh, it's like a second arm, I think, God, I wish that was my second arm. But it's, oh, third arm, what am I talking about? Got two arms. <laughs> so lucky, I'm so lucky. Um, yeah, but, you know, I just, I don't, I don't feel like that. And I think it's, sometimes it is good to actually, uh, to, to, to realise what is the stuff that you're not good at because then get someone else in to do that and, and actually concentrate and take your time because it's all about time but also you know? I, I would I would jump in and not be dissuaded by the things that you're not good at as well because yeah. it's about crewing and and getting people around you you know I'm I and knowing what you're good at and what you know Wayne and I are very good at dividing and conquering knowing you know I'll write a synopsis you do the legal on that you know like we're very good at, at working um out those things but you get you, it's really possible to get people who are very very good at what they do you get a shit hotline producer who runs the production that's how we manage to stay you know be able to act in something or direct yeah. something mm. while we're producing it as well because you've got someone incredible who knows exactly you know which crew is taking a sick day and you know all those things that you know I'll be told six months later what happened to them oh you know like so mm -hmm. it's it's very you know, in a compassionate caring way obviously <laughs> um, but but it's 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 really possible to to step up. I wouldn't want to dissuade anybody from not stepping up. And I'm always encouraging people to to start their own business if they if if it's in them. Like if it, Sean, yeah. it doesn't interest you at all. But but if it if it feels like, especially women, because women are notorious at going, oh, I don't think I can. And I would encourage you to go. You know what? I can. I'm just going to get 
um, armed for this? I've got a piece of gold. Mm. As a slashy, it means, yeah, I am hosting, running workshops, sometimes acting, blah, blah, blah. The people who saved my life are called Auspicious Arts. They basically collect all of my invoices for me and pay me weekly. What? And um, <laughs> per diems and they know how to run it. And then when I have to deal with someone like Campbelltown Arts Centre that has this, it's council. Ah! Oh! And they, they try to invoice everyone in 30 days after a program and try to sneak per diems and living allowance into the fee where I'm like, these actors can't buy bread, let alone book accommodation, you know, like, so auspicious arts constantly come to the rescue. What, who are they? Who, what are they? What's the organisation? So they're out here on mm -hmm. Sturt Street and basically they began, because Circus Souls, who I worked for for two years, so I can say this, were just so shit at accounts because they're a bunch of crazy political tumblers and acrobats. <laughs> and so John Paxino <laughs> came in and he ran all their grants for them. So this means like with Hot Brown Honey or anything I do with artists, because I am a small business, I'm constantly, I've got set designers and costume designers working on my shows, I get to say, Auspicious Arts is going to cover public liability, work cover insurance. They only take 5% of the fee to manage a business. And they're basically bookkeeping for me because I've got petty cash going on. It's all of the good things. And they've just started doing tax. Basically, y'all piece of gold. I almost don't <laughs> want to tell people because I think I'm so complicated that I don't want them to have too many people, but I'm sure they'll get more staff and a bigger venue. Uh, for artists, it's like, for me, it changed my life regarding tax and regarding running that side. Mm. But also to know I could ring and say, oh, Woodford want to pay my artists. It's over Christmas. Can we pay them properly like half now and half later and can you pay that schedule even though you haven't got the fee yet and they're a bit like with Woodford yes maybe with a fringe festival no because they know you know they know about all that stuff I can ring them and say what's um what's per diems well what's a accommodation for a place like Campbelltown right now and they're little you know like they know all the uh, MEAA stuff too yeah, so great. I'm just amazing that's great I love a bit of do it yeah it's great um, okay, so, um, I'm looking at your watch. Yes, it's amazing how time goes. So, I'd like to talk a little bit about burnout um, because I always think that, um, uh, uh, yeah, working multiple jobs, doing something that you love, uh, working, you know, running a business, you know, writing, acting, producing, all the different things. What, um, and especially doing something you love, you can actually end up just then doing it all the time, on the weekend, at night time, and, you know, it's all melded into one. I'd love to, uh, to maybe throw to you first, Damon, just to say, how do you find that work balance how, as a slashy with so many different hats on? How do you, you know... Slash dad. Yeah, slash dad, that's right. Most <laughs> important role, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh, I failed spectacularly at it, you know, yeah, the last great. two years. Yeah. I probably, yeah. I'm very good to talk at it because I... Um, I did burn out officially, you know, and um, I guess because of the excitement of making your first film and having it connect with people, um, it's sort of just been this kind of beast that, that people do want to ask questions and constantly go on. And because I'm passionate about the topic, I do say yes to schools and go and speak to, you know, and we, we've done maybe 200 Q&As. I've probably visited 60 schools around the world, you know, and, and I love that to one degree, but I, I also probably didn't nurture my own health and, and honour my family in the way I probably should have because... Um, I guess it, because it was the first experience, there was um, there was an, an intoxication in a sense with people, you know, liking the work and sort of constantly wanting the demand. And suddenly you've got to change a nappy over here. It's 
you know, it's, it's easy to get pulled into this other world. So um, I've really sort of learned a lot about myself probably in the last few months and, and working out how I manage that better moving forward because we're just sort of embarking on the next film at the moment, which is even bigger in a lot of ways. So we're putting in structures in place to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Um, and I think it's just about being conscious of it and understanding that you need to value yourself because you will be servicing your um, passion better if you're in a, in a healthier state of mind. And I think mm -hmm. we forget that. You just go and you're juggling things and tweeting and blah, blah, blah. And you're actually becoming quite reactive and you're not actually standing in the thing itself that you want to promote. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of the world does that unconsciously yeah. and we start firing off things and, and responding to, to things in a way that's not coming from our true self. So... Um, I would absolutely say that's something to be very aware of. Mm. And like you said, these days you need to have that many hats on to get by. And there is a cost with mm. that if you're not careful. So mm. um, I know when I was trying to get a few things off the ground, I actually had to say no to a lot of things and go, you know what, I'm just going to focus on this sugar thing and get this right instead of juggling these six balls in the air because I actually wasn't doing service to any one of them. Yeah. Mm. So it's about maybe refining your search to two or th three things that really connect with you and then just honouring those projects and giving them the time. Sean, do you have any? Um, well, my, uh, my, my wife uh, said to me, I, I was an armchair expert when I used to watch television comedy. Um, <laughs> this is before I was in show business at all. And she, she sensibly said, look, why don't, you, why don't you, if you don't do anything by, you know, and drew a little X on the calendar, then you have to shut up when you watch these television shows. <laughs> Good on uh, her. So, yeah, and it never occurred to me that it would be a, a thing to do to earn a living, to be perfectly honest. It never occurred to me until Le Leandra mentioned it okay. and, and gave me that ultimatum. So, f uh, unfortunately, that meant that my avocation, that meant that my hobby had become my life, uh, my career. And so I never had any hobbies. I, I don't have any hobbies at all. Uh, I have a, a beautiful family who I love very much and work, and that's it. Um, so I don't have anything else to do um, <laughs> when the kids are at school other than to write. So I write all the time and I, I'm yeah. constantly thinking of the next thing. Um, um, and I, um, I, I, you follow your bliss, you do the thing you love and I find that quite sustaining. And I have a very, very sensible family who um, keep me in check. So I don't have to really think about it. Okay, they're, they're sort of my production company. Yeah, uh, right. They... they uh, they, they help me uh, compartmentalise these things. So I just feel like I'm working in some sort of sheltered workshop. <laughs> oh, um, having said that, I, I hear what Damon's saying and you can unwittingly, and it's only clear in retrospect when you look back on it, you think, oh, I see, I was burnt out at that point. I, mm. I should have stopped back then. Because, and sometimes it'll be serious, like it'll be a family uh, thing, or it'll be you'll look at a piece of work you've done which you finished and it's gone to air and you look at it and you go, gee, that was shit, wasn't it? That was real shit. And there was a lot of reasons for it. One of them was that, you know, really, uh, you, you didn't have the energy, energy to do it. Yeah, you didn't really have the energy to look after it, yeah. you know, to serve it and to, yeah. to love it enough. Yeah, I was going to say the byline for Hot Brown Honey is um, decolonize and moisturize. <laughs> and it's, um, <laughs> it's based on moving, like, as I said, um, my social activism is embedded in all of the art that we make. So it's, it's based on the, um, the civil rights era. Martin Luther King's main concept was radical fierce love. And that was about between people, etc. 
And then what we realised was what was happening is people were working so hard on these movements that they would burn out. They wouldn't have anything left for themselves. And some of my heroes I, uh, who I've met over the years were, you know, very sick old black women. And I thought, no. <laughs> and so Angela Davis brought in this concept of radical self-love. And that being the probably key... It's, it, it's kind of warfare. It's kind of going back to the system. I'm not going to allow, um, you know, this trauma, this history, etc., to actually dis disable me. Um, so for that reason, I mean, we have two single mothers on our show that tour with children and all pairs. We have to make sure that um, on the road those kids are taken care of, which changes everybody's schedule. Um, everybody knows that they're aunties and so I'd say <laughs> invariably we don't party very much. <laughs> no, like we create the sense of party and then people go off and party. Um, and that stuff becomes with that, you know, professionalism but also real, um, real understanding that we're not only performing, we're also similar in a way to the sugar movie. It's a political movement. And it's big and it affects people's lives and their ability to live well and with quality. So for us, that stuff's really vital. And I, um, I've, yeah, paired right back and, and like Won the Bear, the project I'm working now, started in April last year. I have three partners and one's international. So I was like, this is going to take time and some bitches need to be micromanaged. So, you know, like, it's, it's a longer I've form. I've always said that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, I was like, can I ask you a question? Yeah. If if you if your energies uh, weren't divided in in that in that you don't necessarily have to spend your energy unlocking doors, what do you think you'd be doing now? Um, I think I would be uh, probably a showrunner on a television show, uh, like the last show I did. Did anybody see Lilith? No. Yay! Ah, oh, Richard Watts. Um, so I got to play Charles Penworth, which is like Henry Higgins, like oh, Lilith, you know. Uh, hysteria is very common for women of your gender. And also this like chavy line that was a bit like Adele and about like Ricky Gervais, right? Like you don't have a tail, you're not a fucking lion, right? And so for me, uh, I'm a shapeshifter and I'm so strange that I would just have comedy shows. I probably have a very similar creative show. <laughs> so would I. Um, <laughs> So, I want to ask, Robin, um, what are some of the challenges of wearing two or three hats during a production? This is going to be my last question, then we're going to open up to you guys for your questions. Um, so, yeah, Robin, you know, like, like for example, now at Honey, I mean, you, you wrote, yes, starred in, produced, yes... That's that's all she that says. All. That's all. Yeah. Um, uh, I uh, <laughs> wasn't it honoured by the Gina Davis Institute yes, as well? Yes. It was. It it um. <laughs> it's very associated with the burnout, I think. And I've, I think I've done a lot over the years now of just learning how to do it properly. But we do things very. We are compartmentalised. You know. So. If I write something, I generally try and write something for six weeks and then I'll move on to something else. Like, I try and stay in that space. I, I try and cancel out the noise. I can't do the Twitter and the Insta. You know, if I do that, I have to make a conscious effort to turn my attention to that. In, in the midst of everything, I, I try and focus on one thing at a time, the thing that's ahead of me. Um, 
and the noise is the thing that gets in the way. That's the distraction. And I, I'm not one of those people who struggles with the internet, you know, having the internet on or anything like that. I just, I just turn the internet off and I just don't, you know, then I just write and then I, if I need to check in at lunchtime to see who's emailed, then I will, but I don't have a problem with, you know, I, I have to sit there and write, that's my job, so that's what I do. So then once that's happened, then I know that I can go into the pre-production period and I have this, I always have the script intact. I just have that is just done and it might be amendments because of there's a location thing or an actor's got an availability issue or something like that, but that it will be largely done so everybody can work. So pre is very, very based in pre, you know. It's not just scripts flying in, I can't bear that shit. So... Um, so then everybody's doing their job and I can focus on the casting and I can focus on costume and I can focus on the production design and I can make sure that it's all intact and exactly the way Wayne and I envisage it. And so then when we get to production, I'm acting and that's all I'm doing and I'm giving myself over and I am that my director is behind that and I'm just trusting him and trusting my other actors and that's all I'm doing. Occasionally, there'll be a producing fire that, you know, I have to attend to at lunchtime. Something's happened. Some, something's fallen through. Somebody's being sued. Something will happen. Um, but, you know, that otherwise, I just try and compartmentalise. And one of our great friends who's in business, who encouraged us to start our own company and, and uh, sort of go our own way and not use anybody else, he is a very, very busy man with kind of an empire. And we, he said, just there'll be days where it feels like there are a billion things, just do the one in front of you. And it's the best – it sounds so simple, but it is the best advice because you have – so, and I kind of go, can you have a look at this and can you say, no, 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 do you sign this? And you just go, okay, just one at a time and I'll just do this problem and then I'll do the next problem. And actually it keeps you sane. We had a situation at the beginning of the year where we had um, three shows, don't even ask me how, one in America, one, two here. We were doing three shows at once. We were working 17-hour days and bizarrely I did not get burnt out. We were across – and I just did this one and then I would do that and then I would do that and I knew that it was finite. I knew for six weeks I would be working my guts out. Also, <laughs> three shows across two countries. Who's complaining, right? Like <laughs> champagne problem, best job in the world. So, But it's just about doing increments and then knowing that it's finite and being sensible. Yeah, and discipline, isn't it? That sounds really disciplined, yeah, very disciplined. disciplined. Yeah. Can, can I just can I add, a, add a point and I'm sure Robin would agree with me on this uh, because I – because I, I don't or I choose not to do the, the business side of things and just concentrate on the creative things, mm. I've always found that it, is, it actually makes it easier if you've written something. If I've written something, it's easier for me to perform it. Wow. Mm. If I'm editing it, I know when I'm performing it that I can... I'm, not, and I'm, I'm using Mad as Hell as an example, which is a, in front of a studio audience and uh, it's edited that night um, and there are five cameras and I know... As I'm performing, I'm really in the moment, aren't I? Uh, uh, <laughs> I know it as I'm performing and reading the audio over the left shoulder of Francis Greenslade <laughs> that that camera will do the pickup, and and I can. It actually makes the job easier. It's not mm. twice as much work or three times as yeah. much work. It's actually, it's actually a third of the work. Yeah. Sean, I couldn't agree more because I do the same thing. If we're on set, like with Bogan, for instance, and I'm watching the two cameras, and I go, haven't got it there, got it there, doesn't matter. You're doing it. You're doing it as you go. You actually know. Mm. I totally agree. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted. No, no, no. no. I, I just, I, I just thought it was helpful to, into getting back to the original slashy point that there, 
you don't need to put those slashes in. If, mm, if you own your work, yeah if, you, yeah, if you own your work, don't think of it as 10 jobs. It is really one job that you enjoy 10 times as much. Mm, that's wonderful. I'm going to open it up to you guys now before we run out of time. Because um, I'm looking at Sean's watch. Uh, yes, great. Oh, no, it's good. I'm, on, I'm so on time. I'm doing my job properly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, it's so good. Um, so, who wants to ask a question? Yes, hand up over there. Nice. We just go for it. I don't think we need a microphone. Oh, yes, that's right, because we're, we're recording this. That's right. Hi. Oh, is, it, is that on? <laughs> yes. Hi, I'm Kasha. Um, my question is probably mostly for uh, Damon, but for anyone that it, this applies to. Um, as an actor, then moving into producing or some of these, or writing, do you feel in any way that that affects your acting career or that um, casting directors view you differently and therefore your access to the industry as an actor sh shuts down in any way? Uh, it's an interesting question. I haven't really thought about it much, to be honest, because um, I feel so fulfilled by what I'm doing now that I, 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 my, my interest in acting has actually waned quite considerably. So... I'm, I'm not even aware of that. I know things still come through as an option, but um, I just haven't said yes to anything for a while. So I think in this country it's sort of small enough that I don't, I don't think it matters that much. Um, uh, so I don't know, maybe someone else can answer that, but I certainly don't feel it's affected it too greatly. Um, I don't think... I mean, I guess you could easily get typecast as something, but I don't think we kind of work like that here. Maybe in America, but I, I think it's too small here. I would actually I'd like to comment about this. I think that you... Um, when you create your own work and you, you know, um, in whatever form, whether you're writing or producing or directing, doing more stuff, you're just meeting more people. You're getting more people are hearing about what you're doing. You're out there. You're doing stuff. And actually, I think it, in, I think it actually just enhances every every aspect of your, you know, because it's all about who you know, you know. So I recently yeah. got the gig writing and performing on the catering show because Kate McCartney, who we've known each other before, came and saw a show called Trilogy that I danced naked contemporary dance in. <laughs> oh, I wish I'd seen that. Oh. I'm just, an audition. I'm I just saying, then she recalled who I was <laughs> and I did the writer room and I got the gig. So I actually think it's, it's, it does enhance. I think, I think we're, because of the internets, dissolving all those archaic concepts of you are an actor, you cannot do anything else, you are not powerful unless I tell you how to speak and be and direct. I think all that stuff, um, as maybe terrifying for the old guard, feels that, that actors have more power, that actors show run. We have Lena Dunham's and um, Issa Rae's now where they're absolutely writing and performing and show running their own work and Robin Butler's, you know, so fuck it, like do it all. Lovely. Next question. Yes, right there. Next to the first question. That's convenient. <laughs> Hi, my name's Ra. And I had a question um, from what Robin said, but open to all of the panel, um, in regards to you're talking about your writing process um, briefly, about how you will write something for six weeks. And I was just wondering about um, um, it sounds like, okay, I'll just ask. If you have a few ideas on the go, yeah. and so say, and this is obviously personal to each of you, um, you've got three projects that you are thinking about and want to write about and get off the ground, um, how would you, would you actually, Robin, only concentrate on one 
for the six weeks or um, other members of the panel, would you set aside maybe the morning for one, the afternoon for other or a day on each? I'm just wondering how you really, each of you kind of work that. I, I just jump in. At the moment, I've got three projects on the go. You couldn't be asking at a better time. <laughs> I've got three projects on the go, uh, and I worked. I've I've had to work on all three of them a little bit just to kind of get the pluck the threads out a little and just just work out which is going where. But the one that I thought, I think that's going to be the one likely to fly quickest and I can get finance for the fastest, I went, I'm going to spend a month on that. And I had to interrupt myself a couple of times to have meetings with, you know, on, on another project. But by and large, I just went, that's what I'm focusing on. Personally, I need to really get into the zone of what I'm working on. So I find flipping between morning and afternoon quite tricky, but that's just me. But yeah, yeah, I'd say to remember that we are so saturated with content now in the world that, you know, there is just so much stuff out there that you almost need to think about what, what is it going to be that's unique about what you're making? What's, what's going to make it stand out from all the other things that are out there and really put the time and effort into that to sort of, I think, you know, think outside the box a bit or go, how can I really honour this idea to its fullest potential and kind of make it just pop out? Because they're the things that people are going to notice because we see so much stuff in our news feeds these days. But what's that little magic element that you go, oh, that's interesting, that's or different. And that's, I think, not going to happen if you're flipping between three things on the same day. Sure. And, and I think also just on that, I think I would, I would call that a point of view. Uh, what the, the saturation of content means that we so often see things. We don't want to just see a sketch of something anymore. We want to see, you know, why girls are so amazing is because it's got a point of view and it might not be speaking to everybody, but it's, it's very specific. And so I would maybe try the thing that felt like you felt strongly resonating with you first and just float in that for at least a couple of weeks to give it a try. That would be my advice anyway. And if you can't make a decision, send them to me, Ra, and I'll tell you which one to do. <laughs> no, sometimes you need a friend. Yes. Sometimes you need a friend because you're oh, my God, but that seems like it's more going to fit with the dirt. And you just get a friend to go, do that one. Or someone you, you really think has got a good sense of it because I get the round and round and roundy thing where you're like, and then when you do that one and you get like the way in six weeks later, you'll, you'll have a whole other lot of questions. So just jump in and I, I actually do the same. I'm dreaming of, because I did a month in the country at Albury Hot House and it was just two weeks in a crazy shack. But the space to be in Wonga Wetlands, to be in nature, to just focus on this one project, I just it's like gold for me. And then I'm like, how can I do this every three weeks? <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, you buy too much food and clothes and wine, but it's because you're so open and then beautiful ideas drop in. And you get to have a conversation with a partner that doesn't sound like you're, you know, about to murder them or something. You're just like relaxed. I think being relaxed is key to getting what you want to get off the ground. Having kind of friendships and being relaxed, which can be hard when you're like, this is my entire life and if you don't take me, you know, it's the wrong approach. <laughs> Sean? Um. I found that sometimes just exercising different muscles during the course of the day is quite helpful. And by that I mean I could spend the morning writing uh, an episode of something or a sketch or whatever. And then I can flip to turning my attention to a pitch document, which I think is a different muscle. Because you need to think, well, what, what's the advantage? You know, what, why is an audience going to want this and, and how? Because people at networks are quite different. You write in a different way than you would the actual content of the material. 
Um, so I find that's quite helpful and that's quite a productive day. Um, uh, and, and even script editing is different to me than, uh, than actually writing the script. So I might get some notes back from the network and then you spend some energy deciding w which are helpful and which are not helpful because uh, you must accept all ideas, all ideas that come in. Um, I used to hate anyone suggesting anything to me at all, but it, it, you do spend a bit of energy having to find the one good idea that comes in from the network, for example. You think, well, that's actually quite good. So that's Why are they against me? Don't they want this to work? <laughs> yeah, but, but sometimes it's easier to go, no, you know, that's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> but, but it's a different muscle. You, just, you, can process, uh, you can process it. So you could do, I could do four things in the day that sort of look, it looks like the same thing, but they're all, all quite different and I, and I won't feel like I'm compromising any, any stage of it. And I'm sure, I'm sure we, all, we've all, we all do that. Mm. Yeah. Question. Hi, my name's Lauren. I'm an actor, writer, director and filmmaker. Um, I'm interested, uh, a couple of you talked earlier about um, how you started on this journey, how failure propelled you, or that idea of obstacles that are outside ourselves that stop us, um, doors being open, etc. I'd be interested in um, what you each feel is the biggest challenge you've presented for yourself internally and how you got past that rather than something that's outside you or that, you know, you know something you felt you had to overcome inside yourself to move forward in your journey. Mm, great question. Let's start with you again, Sean. Go backwards. Yep. Go that way. All right. Yes. Um, I, I, I spent, the f <laughs> before I got into the showbiz, I, I often feel, anyone seen uh, King of Comedy, the Martin Scorsese yeah. film? Yeah. yeah. I always felt like Rupert Pupkin. I always felt like I was the guy sitting sitting in the chair and the guy, you know, you, you ring up and they weren't there and, you know, and, and that sort of terrible flat lack of interest that comes in and, and, it, and it, it never really bothered me um, apart from the practical uh, side of that was that you weren't getting anywhere. I wasn't getting anywhere. So I was never, I was never worried about uh, not being good enough. I was always worried about not being perceived as good enough. And I, and I think a lot of my energy, maybe this is true of all of us, a lot of our energy is spent making sure people are aware <laughs> how good we are <laughs> or how good we think we are. Uh, and you come in for a few lessons that sometimes they just don't want certain things that you have to offer. You know, it's just not the right time or they, they can't see the value of it and that's a pity, but, you know, you can't... I, I didn't find that, that constantly uh, emphasising that point was terribly helpful. But... Um, in answer to your question, I think that the challenge that I, s that I set myself is to always say yes to something that I have that I feel I have no experience to do. Like so, so, so if an opportunity comes comes to me that is new and it's and it is genuinely a challenge because I haven't done it before, I'm going to say yes to it. Uh, and and sometimes that'll work and sometimes it won't. And I think the reason I do that is because I came to all this quite late and I feel like I'm catching up all the time. I've I didn't really do it, as I said, until 30. But I think that's been really helpful mm. for, for me, is to never be, never be too worried uh, because you, it, you'll, you'll learn something, you'll, you'll meet some really good people to work with in the future. Um, I used to worry about having children and, and uh, I wondered whether I would ever, you know, whether, whether that would compromise me creatively, whether I would be, I'd be too tired or I, I'd be too scared to say things. But in a, in a way, it's actually made me say yes 
Say yes to everything. I'm so happy to hear that. Say right yes now, to everything. Can I just say? Honestly, no matter how no matter how crap it looks, like I've said yes to a number of films, all of which have been awful. <laughs> but I've I have learned a lot, and they were fun to do. They were fun to do, and and you know you can make you can find the good in anything if you say yes to it. Mm. You can really you can really make something. Uh, that'll be valuable, you know, for that, even if it's just for that moment, you know, and then no one sees it again, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's great. I'm going to get short answers from each of you because I know yeah. sure. I'm, I'm a timekeeper. Yep. Um, for me, it's really specific stuff around likability and respectability p politics. So my mother grew up not looking in white people's eyes. And so mm. I grew up very much colonised and assimilated. And so I made a really clear decision that I was going to be the centre of my own universe and I would never be in relation to a straight white man ever again. So that means it's a double double thing because most of Australia is centred on the white patriarchy. Most of the buildings we're in are too. So to define myself for myself is, is this journey of going, what if I see myself as an entity not in relation to European beauty? That's just like... Minds explode, hearts explode, bodies explodes. What if I too could be a naked contemporary dancer? You know, so, so, so what I start to do is then let go of all of these things about even the idea of pitching. I'm like, more like, no, no, the industry has to change. I'm not going to um, work out how I fit into you because I don't. Uh, so far, it's it's so much better for me to absolutely make stuff and then just, you know, sooner or later they're going to be like, oh, shit, you know, we're dumped and she's riding the wave. And so that uh, level of faith is a, daily, um, is a daily thing, you know. I'm often the only black woman in a room in a building, etc. Um, and so I'm like, you know, not a very good darkie. So I'm not a very good yes and no em, you know. Uh, and that means that it... it uh, even for women, I think it's even harder for my friends who look like the model of a whatever, like a white woman's supposed to look. And I think, Jesus Christ, how would you do what I'm doing even though I believe that it's the way for everyone? I don't think colonisation works for straight white men. I think it's actually bullshit for everybody. But um, that's a very personal, internalised revolution. And then for me then to also just speak my truth rather than accommodating or um, trying to deal with white fragility or like, you know, all the wounded stuff. That's what I do, yeah. Thanks, Candy. Um, I, I think mine was, is, is very confusing, but I think I wish I was braver. I had to get over my own worry and I'm an anxious person and I worry I used to worry way too much about what people thought and it stopped me. I got in my own way. And I just, I love that expression. I just think it's a really good expression mm. because we do, there are a lot of obstacles. There are, but we are often the one that's providing the most, the biggest barrier. And I know people find that weird when I say that because I am a very brave person. I've done a lot of courageous things. But it was—it's been a struggle, and sometimes I just wish I got to it a little bit sooner. And I just—who cares? We'll all be dead in a minute. Like, who cares? Just go for it. Like, seriously, don't worry about it. Just have a crack and try. And so what? Like, it's not that important, you know. 
it's your life, you're the boss of you. That's what I try and teach my girls anyway. Yeah, I would reiterate that, that I certainly inherited a program that I downloaded that says you're not worthy, you know, and, I, and once I spotted that and I could understand that, oh, that's just a program that's running and I can actually control or delete and sort of <laughs> go a different way. That was really powerful. And also meeting people uh, that I probably admired or respected, probably put on a pedestal, you know, whether they're actors or directors and, and having conversations with them and going, you're not this centred, shit-hot, Gandhi-like person I thought you were in my brain. You are just as addled with insecurities as, as probably more so than I have. That was a real leveller for me and, and it's, it's inspiring to just get on with it because all of us have those feelings. Every single person... We're all room. pathetically needy. Aren't we, we are. That's right. That's why we're in this game. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I think there's, um, there was a great <laughs> book written a few years ago by a nurse who has spent a lot of time in palliative care and she sort of wrote her reflections of living with all these elderly people. And she said the thing was that every single one of them had said that they didn't regret the things they'd done, they regretted the things they hadn't done. You know, mm. And I think that's a big driver and should be for everyone, is to mm. give it a crack. I and so when you're in your said, 80s, yeah. you can be proud lying in there, dribbling they on your own leg, but you'll be happy that you did something. <laughs> yeah. I hear they often say they wish they'd had more sex as well. <laughs> um, no, fantastic. Before we wrap up... What a great way to finish. Before we wrap up, I just want to uh, just wrap it up all together by saying um, that uh, I know that, you know, uh, um, also some, some people here are much younger and, 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 and at different stages of your career. If your slashy is just at the moment, you know, actor, um, barmaid or, you know, uh, shop, you know, working in a shop and being an actor, if that's your slashy, that's just as valid. And, and I, I just want to... Um, uh, because not everybody is in a position of going, I'm an actor, writer, director, and that's what I do for a living, that's all I do. You know, some, a lot of people are in the position of going, I'm actually have to work a, a, a real job and then be a slashy, my slashy is my, you know, my creative life. And um, I just want to leave you with a thought from Elizabeth Gilbert, who I love. She's written a book called Big Magic, which is such a great book. And, um, and she's got a great talk on, on te a TED Talk too that is just fantastic. Um, about the nature of genius. Um, but she says, which I thought was wonderful, she didn't... Um, she's the woman that wrote Eat, Pray, Love, that, that book. And she said she, she's been a writer her whole life and that was all, that, that's what she is. And she decided that when she was at school. But she's always had a real job. She, up, until, up until Eat, Pray, Love, she's written five books before Eat, Pray, Love that were a varying success. But she said, I didn't put the pressure on myself to be a successful writer... To be, that was never it. It was just I'm a writer. Whether I'm successful or not is irrelevant. Um, whether I can make a living out of it is irrelevant. Um, that's actually what I am and that's who, who I am. But to put the pressure on your creative life to be the thing that makes you the money is sometimes very detrimental to that creative life. So, um, you know, she said I've always really honoured my B life, my, my other side. And... and, and and sometimes that's what we have to do our whole lives, you know. Some, some people, they never get the privilege of being able to, to have um, all of their creative slashes be their income. Um, but to, I think, to, 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 uh, to not feel that that's a failure is a really important thing. Um, so, yeah. Um, can you please put your hands together for this fantastic panel <laughs> and their wisdom? Media Super is the principal sponsor of the Equity Foundation. For more information about the work of the Foundation, visit equityfoundation.org.au or follow Australian Actors' Equity on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs>